Hi, this is Hannah Langdell, Rosie Tillis, and Nick Olick, Duke Plastic Surgery residents with The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. Professor Adam Metreski is currently the head of oncological and reconstructive surgery at his institution in Poland. He's also the current Gadina Fellow, which is awarded by the American Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery as an investment into promising upcoming and committed surgeons who will, through study and investigation, continue to expand the horizons of our field. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you. Could you briefly start by explaining your career path and what inspired you to pursue your interest in, uh, in head and neck reconstruction? I'm fir- I first was a general surgeon, then oncological surgeon, dealing with some head and neck cases. Uh, it was like 15 years ago when uh, in my department there was only PM flab for this huge cases, and the, you can imagine that the quality of life of patients wasn't very good. So we thought it would be a more, it might be a good idea to to incorporate uh, free flaps, micro reconstructive techniques to uh, to the head and neck. And we started with the simplest uh, radial form and step by step with uh, help of a uh, few American uh, plastic surgery departments like MD Anderson and Sloan Kettering were able to establish some more and more and and to to create even our own modifications and ideas in this field. Wonderful. So you're we're mainly trained as, as a general surgeon and, and oncological, and, and oncologic yeah, surgeon. Yeah. Still doing some oncological stuff okay. besides free flaps. Okay. What percentage of your practice makes up uh, free flaps versus? Nowadays, it's 80% of uh, micro reconstructions and the rest is uh, are resections in head and neck and other regions, mainly due to cancer, uh, cancer tumors. Wonderful. Are there any uh, formal microsurgery training programs or fellowships in Poland? No, it's not. Uh, it, unfortunately, it's not. I've trained myself. I did my first radial front flap never <laughs> when, when I never seen it before, just from a few articles and 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 illustrations. Uh, but nowadays, it's a little bit easier. Uh, we're able and it's possible for us to to go abroad to see uh, to learn some. Uh, new stuff uh, also and mainly during SRAM uh, conferences and and visiting uh, different American uh, departments. And congratulations on being selected as the Godina Fellow. It's quite an honor. Yeah. Um, how is uh, how has your fellowship been and can you tell us kind of what it means to you and different places that you've been able to visit? Yeah, uh, well, as you said, it's a greatest honor. I, I didn't expect such a such a privilege, and I'm so happy that uh, uh, that it's possible for me to to to, to visit so many great uh, great departments. Uh, although the COVID uh, just interrupted and and made my uh, year a little bit shorter. But still, uh, I do my best to see as much as possible and to visit uh, as many places as, as I can. So uh, I'm still very happy and it's, you know, like a, a lifetime journey and adventure. You've won the ASRM best case three times. I think you spoke to us this morning about some of those cases. Right. Um, can you kind of take us through maybe one of the cases and then talk a little bit about, about what you did with the, uh, in, in those cases? 
Uh, maybe the last one because uh, I remember the most. <laughs> uh, there was a young uh, kid who, uh, when he was uh, about one year old, he uh, underwent a chemical burn of his uh, digestive tract and uh, lived from that moment with permanent tracheostomy, gastroenterostomy uh, for feeding, and his quality of life was uh, really poor. He never spoke. Uh, never ate any solid food, forgot how to breathe. And uh, we thought it could be uh, a possibility to to do a CTA together with a bone marrow transplant to in the future get rid of immunosuppression. So uh, two years ago, uh, we did a complex, uh, not only CTA, but reconstruction, micro reconstruction with the jejunum followed by CTA of the next structures with immediate bone marrow transplantation. And it's getting better and better. I mean, the, the rehabilitation process, he's attending school right now. He's able to speak several words, making phrases of them. He can eat and drink. And we were, uh, uh, we were able to, um, uh, to cut the, the immunosuppressive uh, drugs, uh, like 50% of them. Uh, hoping that we will be able to to get rid of it uh, totally. So I think it's a really really nice one to to talk about, and and we are especially me we are very proud of of, of this boy yeah. it's doing hard. better. better. Yeah. Sometimes over podcasts to totally see the whole picture, but the videos you showed us this morning, uh, you know, videos I guess pictures worth a thousand words. Right. Um, for our listeners, can you go through all of the structures that were transplanted and how you assess the function of all those different parts? <clears throat> yeah, because uh, whole uh, his oral digestive tract from the uh, base of the tongue and oral, also uh, oral commissures uh, through larynx, pharynx, uh, esophagus, uh, trachea were, were totally destroyed and burned. As the first step, we just uh, replaced the thoracic esophagus with the transposition of right colon. And then we waited for the donor for like nine months. And when we found it, uh, we uh, took uh, uh, the tongue base, the uh, part of the oral pharynx, the pharynx, larynx, trachea, part of esophagus, uh, thyroid and parathyroid glands as well as this uh, small part of anterior uh, cervical wall, all based on uh, uh, four arteries, three veins, four nerves. And uh, due to the, the uh, I think, uh, horizontal in setting, it was uh, not so long for, for, for the kid to learn how to, how to swallow, how to breathe, and finally how to uh, start uh, how to speak at least start to speak uh, this few words at the beginning now a little bit more and hoping to to have a normal voice like all of us in the in the future everything about the case that you heard was incredible from the technical aspects to the results and seeing the child start to speak it was just incredible thank um, you how many of these transplants have you done and you and your group uh Two faces and four, uh, four uh, necks. Uh, the necks were more similar to the to the kid I, I was talking about in a moment um, before. Maybe that one was the most extended one because of the thoracic esophagus and the and the part of the tongue. 
but uh, the remaining three more or less were the same, similar. And can you speak a little bit? I know we talked about how the the child kind of recovered differently than the adults that you've treated. Yeah, well, uh, it takes uh, it, it took a uh, uh, much more longer for him to 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 speak first words, probably because the accident was when he was one years old and he he never learned how to speak, and probably it's uh, it's uh, much more difficult for him being now seven years old than for a kid who is one year old to to, to learn. That's why it uh, it doesn't go so smoothly and so quickly. But still, I guess it's, uh, and I have a, a great hope that he will he will be able to speak normally. Mm-hmm. And one of the differences with the child was the bone marrow transplant that you did right, with him. Right. Whereas the adults, a couple of them had had other solid organ transplants and were already on immunosuppression. That's true. For this most recent case, how do you think this can help move the field forward and where do you see this, this going in the future? Well, I... Uh, Personally, I think it's promising, but it's still uh, just two cases we did with this bone marrow. So it's uh, not enough to to have anything, you know, decent to uh, to see like a, a like a, a future in the in the field of transplantology. I hope that some other cases, uh, maybe not only uh, not only uh, next, but hence. Uh, partial faces, uterus, and, and, and those different kinds of CTAs will help us to, to, to change or to modify the protocols of immunosuppression with, the, uh, with different type of, of uh, uh, transplanted organs or, or tissues. We'll see. Uh, I think now it's too early to, to, to predict what will happen. Uh, another case that I wrote a little bit about that you had uh, published on was the immediate face transplant. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it was uh, in 2013. Uh, we were preparing. We were prepared for soft tissues only, and uh, there was a boy who underwent an accident at work. The stone cutting machine uh, just cutted his face with uh, all the sub- skeletal support of the middle and, and upper face, and uh, uh, there was an attempt of. Uh, uh, replantation, but it failed. And that moment, uh, the the people who are dealing with this guy asked us for help. So we thought it's uh, the only way to 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 save his life because this uh, the defect was so close to to brain structures, to skull of the base, and uh, we thought that we have to find a donor quite quickly. And we had. Uh, like a few days to prepare the different strategy with this uh, uh, skeletal support. Finally, we did it and the donor, we were able to find the donor in nine days. And well, he is doing well. He returned to normal life. He, have a, he has a, nowadays a normal social activity, I think, enjoying his, uh, his life nowadays. Uh, although we uh, we see him every three months just to check his uh, immunosuppression status and so on, but finally he's he's doing well. Uh, with the face and also with the neck transplants, have you seen many episodes of rejection? And and if so, how have they been treated? Probably as usual. Of course, we uh, we've seen uh, except uh, uh, except in cases with previous uh, or solid organ transplantation and and. 
uh, already immunosuppressed. We didn't see, we haven't seen any uh, signs of rejections in those two cases, but in at the rest, of course, there were like two, three. In one case, it was uh, it was four uh, episodes of rejections treated, you know, regularly with steroids, and and uh, it was it's just uh, important to to uh, to find it uh, as soon as possible and to start this this uh, steroid therapy uh, just immediately, and in all cases it worked. And those were identified based on. Mucosal biopsies, skin biopsies, both. For the for the face, it was uh, skin biopsies. Uh, uh, in one case, it was just the rush, and uh, then we took uh, not a regular biopsy, but because of the symptoms. And in uh, neck uh, organs, uh, our transplantation, we usually take the mucosa biopsies, which are more uh, reliable than the skin. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, in all of those cases, it's kind of uh, strict, strict protocols, uh, which which allow us to to recognize the rejections uh, quite quickly. So these cases are obviously extremely complex with a lot of moving parts. I would imagine it requires a really big team. Um, can you talk about kind of the different components of the team and different groups that are involved with this entire process for the patient? First is the is the logistics and uh, you know dealing with uh, all the factors of the donor, finding the donor, making uh, everything uh, uh, worked for the surgery. There are uh, a lot of people involved in uh, whole, in the whole process of the pro qualification process of the recipient, which, yeah, from my point of view, is crucial. Then. Uh, for uh, the surgery itself, it's uh, usually eight to, to up to 10 surgeons, uh, two teams uh, on uh, uh, one operating room to, to next to another, just all together. Then there's a group of uh, people who are dealing in post-operative period, especially, uh, especially uh, clinical transplantologists who uh, are dealing with all the immunosuppression and so on. Uh, people who are involved in a rehabilitation process and post-operative care. So altogether, it's like 40, 50 people uh, dealing with, uh, with, uh, with, the, with the patient. And a lot of cases, not always with you know, some of the cases you've discussed, but oftentimes face transplants can be life-enhancing procedures as opposed to life-saving procedures. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously harm with the immunosuppressants, especially tracrylamus. Uh, sure. What is the attitude in Poland towards face transplants? Is it on the rise? Is it becoming more popular? Is it something people are, are still hesitant to pursue? Well, uh, not so much. We did uh, two face transplants. And, uh, well, we had many, many uh, uh, candidates, but they weren't qualified, some of them because of... Uh, you know, um, clinical reasons, some of psychological, and now we are uh, we're in the process of uh, qualifying two uh, two recipients, one for face, one for the neck. Uh, but still, I, I I mean, it's crucial to have this qualification process very precise and and accurate. That we are sure, and and more important, the patient is sure that he wants to have this kind of procedure that it will really change his life. And uh, that's probably the most important part. 
So do you see that expanding the field of some of these um, transplants? Like I know you mentioned uterus transplants, and we mm -hmm. about hand transplants. So I know you're working on the immunosuppression part of that to kind of make the immunologic consequences less, but it sounds like despite the consequences, we're learning how to manage it better. Well, yeah, uh, for me, I can say for myself, uh, for, from the surgical point of view, of course, uh, I know some details about immunosuppression, but not, not as, uh, as much as, as probably we'd like to hear. Uh, that's why these uh, transplantologists deal with, uh, with those problems. But, but uh, uh, from the um, you know, wide, wide point of view, I guess that it's still uh, a lot of uh, um, procedures, a lot of uh, places for CTA. Uh, that was a time that it was quite popular for the hands uh, or, or extremities. Now, uh, when you can see that uh, the transplantation of uter uterus can change women's life, it's, well, incredible. Also, the abdominal wall, mm -hmm. uh, there were some other attempts. I think it's, it's you know, the, uh, the discipline uh, which, is, uh, which is expanding, which is growing, but still it's at the, it's at the early uh, period of, uh, of its existence. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope in the future it will change uh, into more routine pro pro procedures and hopefully more routine training for of course as well. of course and some of what you presented this morning i had never even heard of before <laughs> much less ever seen anyone here do so <laughs> uh is there any do you have any involvement with residents or fellows that are able to visit or uh, you know see what you do and learn from you in poland you mean in, in our department mm -hmm. yeah we still have uh, we all we have uh, visitors all the time Maybe it's a different uh, residency pro pro program in Poland because it's nothing like like you have that. It's uh, very uh, logic and and very well organized. In our department, there are some visitors just come in to see, uh, try to help them to to establish their own um, cases, their own programs. But it's not going as fast and as good as we would love to. But still, we're trying to, to, to improve and to do more and more. So now, after three ASRM best cases, <laughs> um, what's next? What are your goals for yourself and your career for the next? Well, year? it's, it's hard to say. It's not that uh, I'm planning to do another thing to, to, uh, uh, to admit a best case or best case. No. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, what's most important is to improve what we're doing right now. So to have better results with simple flaps, with simple techniques, uh, with some regular cases. And I think that's the most important stuff. Of course, uh, uh, on the way, there are, there are cases more demanding, something uh, requiring uh, a new technique, some modifications. Uh, so... We are open to this, but uh, I think the most important part is to make what we are doing uh, every day better and better and better. It's been amazing to see like how much you've done despite having not the traditional training that we think of here. And I think that's part of what makes plastic so cool is that you're able to just continue learning, continue innovating. And, you know, even some of the other surgeries you were talking about after um, your initial presentation were, were incredible. Um, using the oracle for you know epiglottal defects. <laughs> oh yeah, do you want to speak briefly about? I think that's a case our listeners would probably be interested in. 
um, epiglottis reconstruction and anything like that? Probably it's controversial because the ENT uh, surgeons who thought that, well, when you resect part or like even 80% of the epiglottis, there is no need for reconstruction. And I, and I agree. Uh, the need for reconstruction and to, uh, to avoid some uh, serious complications when you resect the total epiglottis, especially with the part of uh, tongue base. And that's what I was trying to, 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 to say that in those cases, some uh, uh, kind of reconstruction, micro reconstruction with the part of the auricle uh, due to the leaf shape similar to the epiglottis can uh, reconstruct those kind of uh, horizontal uh, laryngectomy defects with the really uh, reasonable uh, functional uh, result. No choking, no difficulties with swallowing, normal voice, and so on. So in those cases, this uh, epiglottis reconstruction is reasonable. Uh, of course, in smaller, it can be, it's discussable. And, and well, I can, I can agree that not every time it's important, it's, it's necessary. But in the extended cases, I think it's, it's useful and worth trying. All right. Well, as we're finishing up, uh, we just have one other question for you kind of for fun. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for residents or fellows that are interested in microsurgery earlier in their career? And um, how would you advise them for how to like move forward? Well, to be persistent, uh, not to give up, try to have uh, as much fun as possible from your routine to everyday work and always uh, try to have something else to to uh, like to escape from the from the things and, and thoughts about work like sport anything what, whatever you like and it makes you know and you have to believe what you are doing it's not that someone wants you to do something and you have to you have to want it you you, you have to need it so much and i think that's the only way but probably it's an individual thing and and it's hard to uh, um, to have any any rules or or you know the, the paths that everybody has to follow i guess it's really individual i uh i found all of your presentations very inspiring this morning and thank you I remember hearing you as a medical student at asrm so it's uh, it's really an honor to, to meet you and thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure and honor for me. Thanks a lot. Yeah. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.